heavy riff here on a Monday. It is a Monday. It is November 7th. Guy Adami here, Dan Nathan there in just a few minutes. And I promise you, it will be just a few minutes. Carter Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us today. We're sponsored by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. This is Market Call. But before we start, Dan, we just had a fascinating conversation with Nouriel Rabini. That's going to drop later in your favorite podcast store, <laughs> uh, part of the On the Tape presentation. And I got to tell you something. If I wasn't terrified prior, I'm certainly terrified now. Yeah. Well, you know, his new book that's out, it's called Mega Threats. And he's talking about a whole host of things that we talk about on a daily basis, just kind of things that are impacting the economy, markets, that sort of stuff. He's thinking about things like debt and leverage and 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 central bank intervention and climate change and mm-hmm. geopolitical risks like war and stuff like that. all this stuff. He's talking about them all converging for a whole host of reasons in the book. I've been reading it. It is fascinating. You definitely need to kind of take a step back every once in a while because it's it, it is meant to have an optimistic thread through a guy but the the themes are actually kind of scary and we do see a lot of these things play out in our daily lives as we think about markets and the economy too yeah and in, in speaking to him it's he just galvanized a lot of things that I know I've thought I'm sure you have as well and the, and the fact that these things are not siloed they're all somehow interconnected yeah. but he also said to your point about ending on a cheery note there's still time to sort of eradicate and get ourselves out of the mess that we've basically created for ourselves. So listen to that. It's I think it's going to drop within the next hour, hour and a half. I know I'll listen to it. And again, at your favorite podcast store, I just like saying <laughs> that because it's so dumb. Anyway, how are you, Dan? I'm doing okay here, guy. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a funny day in the market. You know, there were two headlines overnight that, of course, get me all kind of excited here. The first was that, you know, this meta, the stock was trading 130, okay, before it reported earnings. Um, it was trading, what, uh, you know, close to 300 or above $300, um, you know, a year ago before they changed their name to meta. And the announcement was that they're going to start some heavy layoffs here. And again, what are investors not happy about? costs, specifically costs focused on building whatever they think the metaverse is, but they're reducing headcount. A lot of their mega cap peers are. The stock's up 5% after being down 30% in, in a month or so. And then the other one was Apple. And, you know, Apple, again, and you and I were talking about this. You said this very clearly after that report. We're going we're gonna to look at the charts with Carter in, in a few minutes here. But this is one where the stock gapped up after their results. It sounded like China wasn't as bad as some feared. And then they come out with a cut on iPhone production because of China. Two dueling mega cap tech stocks with different news. Yeah. You know, and the comparison that I made is if you go a couple quarters back and look at the quarter that Microsoft reported, stock was trading around 255 or so. The knee jerk reaction to the quarter was to take the stock lower. Yeah. And then subsequently, when we heard their, uh, their basically some of the comments they made about not seeing demand destruction, the stock rallied and subsequently the broader market rallied. Microsoft traded up to, I think, 300. And then obviously it gave the entire thing back. And the comparison that I made was, listen, the Apple quarter was fine. The guidance was not great. And the knee-jerk reaction on the Apple quarter was to take it down from 144, down about 138. Subsequently, though, that was the same day that Amazon reported. I think there was this flight to quality. Apple traded up to 158. I said it didn't make a lot of sense. It should actually trade back down to the levels that we saw. And lo and behold, here we are. So again, I happen to think this is a good thing. This is something that Carter talks about all the time. I do think there's further room to the downside. 
I think the only thing that's keeping Apple uh, up today is the fact that the broader market seems to want to hold in. So we'll see again, as I like to say, how things shake out. Yeah, there's and there's some stuff going on. I mean, when you say it's a good thing that Apple, you know, again, I think you've been saying 125, 120, um, you know, gets you back to, let's say, maybe a 30-some percent peak to trough decline. You look at the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, it's down about 33% in the year. Now, we know that there are dozens, if not maybe a couple hundred stocks that are probably easily down more than 50% or so. You see that downtrend. Look at that support. We've been talking about, a round trip for the major indices, the S&P and the NASDAQ back to their pre-pandemic highs. We're just kind of like a few percent off of those recent lows from a couple of weeks ago. And there's really no meaningful effort to bounce. We had that, what, 12, 13% bounce, you know, off of those mid-October lows. But it really feels like that, again, if the market can't rally after the midterms, whatever your expectation is there, really feels like we're going to be going into that support zone in the NASDAQ 100. Yeah, and Jay Rice makes an interesting comment here on, uh, I think he's on YouTube, but stop looking at, and this is directed at us, and I, I respect this, by the way, stop looking at Apple and Meta. There's 17 other stocks, energy banks, and value names versus expensive tech names. And he's, you're 100% right, Jay. And the reason why you know, we focus on specifically these names is because they make such a, they're such a huge component of what the broader market is doing. And I think we look at Apple, not necessarily in the context of Apple, but it potentially could mean for the broader market. So I appreciate that comment, but that's one of the reasons why we look at them. Yeah. Um, thanks for that, Jay. Um, and then here's one that Amanda put together a nice little slide. This is another one that I think is important. You can sit here and harp on some of these stocks that are down oh, 80, wow. 90%. But what's important to us is like living through past bear markets, you need these frothy names. You need, you know, traders use that expression. It's a zero. It's going to zero. Well, very few stocks actually go to zero. Here's a few stocks that could go to zero. We're not saying that they're good shorts from here or whatever. And they all captured a bit of enthusiasm from investors over the last few years. When you think about a Carvana and how much, it's down 97%. There were stocks that were NASDAQ darlings in 99, 2000 that lost 90 some percent. There's Open Door, Upstart, Affirm. There's some similar themes there. Some were SPACs, some were these uh, buy now, pay laters, you know, a, a lot of different models that worked in a zero interest rate environment, mm-hmm. don't work anymore. And then these last two guys, meme stocks, AMC, Bed Bath, they feel like these stocks are either headed to be small children hat sizes or maybe zeros. Yeah. And again, I, I would submit these are all these are all encouraging signs. These <clears throat> are typically what takes place towards the the, the end of yeah. what we've seen is a pretty interesting cycle. Now the end of doesn't mean we can't last for a few more months or so, but at least these things are starting to come back down to earth because if the froth were still in these names, I would submit we're a lot farther away from the end or, you know, the end of the, of the move lower in yeah. the broader market. And again, quickly about AMC, what really upset me the most things about AMC and GameStop is there was this misguided belief from a lot of people that as long as they owned or held onto those stocks, almost by definition, they couldn't go lower. And what we were trying to point out is, that's somewhat misguided. And when you had some of the moves we've seen to the upside, you should have been taking advantage of that. Because quite frankly, I will tell you, that's exactly what management did. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And throw up Carvana up there. You know, our, our co-host, Danny Moses of our On The Tape podcast, who Guy and I both believe is a genius investor. He was featured in the big short. He's been on the market call um, with us. And, and he's looking for some of these financialized companies. You know, they, they take a certain model and they financialize them and they make it sound like some really new, exciting thing. And Danny had been on this short trade since the stock was $300. And he said to us earlier this year, when the stock was 80 down from 300, he says it's a better short mm-hmm. at 80 than it was at 300 because the fundamental stuff is starting to come unwound and apparent to a lot of different investors. Now, listen, and you've seen what's going on here. It's fascinating to me, at least, to see, you know, talk about the bloom off the rose. And you know what's interesting? You know, I say all the time, that's what makes markets. I'm just reading through the comments. And thank you, folks, for sharing. You know, we have one comment that Apple is cheap in this environment, and then two or three comments later, Apple is overpriced. And people always say the market is efficient. And yet, to a certain extent, it is. But when you have divergent opinions like that, that's why you see the moves that we've been seeing over the last, you know, nine to 12 months. So I appreciate those comments. But there's some other things that are going around as well. You know, listen, Dan, we talked about energy for a while quickly, just to sort of get off script here, but the OIH has gone up. And you mentioned this last week from the end of September when it was trading, I think around 210 to levels we're seeing today. You're talking about an OIH, it's up 50, 50%, 50% in the course of a month, which is a staggering move. And we're at levels that we last saw in June. Yeah, you know, this one, I mean, again, you know, we've talked about this and on our podcast on Friday with, um, you know, uh, uh, Vinnie Daniels and Porter Collins and Danny Moses. We were talking about energy. They love energy. And it's funny. They still don't like tech, but they love energy. And I asked them a question. I think this is really important. I said, you're not shorting mega cap tech here and you're probably not buying large cap integrated oil here or, or energy service. And they said, we're not. And you don't have to, just because you'll still like something, you own it or you're shorted, doesn't mean you have to be doing that thing right now because entry and exit points are obviously really important here. This is, so we're at levels now in the OIH where I think the right thing, the smart thing to do is say, okay, we've had this ridiculous run where levels we last saw back in June, the smart move, the discipline move is to take some money off the table. I will tell you, I still think there's another leg higher in these things. I'm not submitting that I'm right. And the smart thing, again, to do is to start to pare down risk. But there's clearly something going on in energy. And one of the things that I've said for a while is post-election, which, by the way, is tomorrow. I encourage everybody to go out and vote. Um, I think that's when energy starts to get its froth back then. Yeah, well, it could be. And, and again, I think the dollar weakness um, is something to keep, uh, you know, and, and we've been talking about <clears throat> the U.S. dollar index has come back to that uptrend. I know Carter has been charting that one, too. That's obviously of importance to us. And, and, and of course, yield. So we're going to keep uh, updated on all of that stuff. I just want to make one point, Guy, about the meta. You know, it's bouncing off of those cuts. OK, and I've been buying. I've been telling our listeners I bought a little Amazon last week after it gapped lower. I bought a little PayPal after it gapped blower. I bought Meta um, a week and a half ago after their earnings um, in and around like the high 90s or something like that. I also bought Snap and I was long a little Snap into that print and I bought a lot more and it averaged down. My average got to below $8. I'm going to tell you this. Stocks rallying here today. I think, Guy, you mentioned it earlier. I think Barry Diller, um, IACI chairman, he was saying that he thinks um, you know TikTok probably gets banned here. That would be um, huge for Meta. It would be mm-hmm. probably pretty 
big for Snap. That was one of my thesis. I'm actually going to be out of this stock. It's filled in this gap here. I just want to kind of give an update there. I've been trading around it for months and months, and I've had a couple decent trades. I had a really bad trade into this last print when it was down almost 30%, but I traded my way out of it. Here it is, filling in the gap, average down, and I'm going to take that trade off here. I'm still in meta. I'd like to see a move up to 110, and I actually have a longer-term time horizon in PayPal, Amazon, and I also bought some Alphabet last week. All right, let's bring that. Carter in. Yeah, yeah let's, let's bring it. him in. But real quick, you know, I listened to Barry Dill this morning, and he said you know, he was pretty convinced that TikTok's going to be banned here in the United States. I'm not nearly as convinced, but now you have more and more uh, politicians talking about exactly that. So we'll see. I will tell you yeah. my opinion. If TikTok is banned in the United States, well, first of all, we have to talk about the ramifications for U.S.-China relations. But in terms of Facebook specifically, I think that immediately becomes a $125 stock. But we'll see. Carter, you've been waiting in the weeds. Sorry, I'm two minutes late bringing you in. How are you, sir? In the wings of the weeds. Or sometimes there's weeds in the wings, and you never know. Yeah. Anyway, how? Uh, yeah, interesting tape today. We've been plus or minus, plus or minus. We seem to be rallying here a bit. But either way, I think the sequence of we know it was an epically bad month of September, an epically good month of October. And now it's kind of a push. Uh, this month, while still young, you've got real damage being done to some of the especially big week names, Tesla, Apple, and you've yeah. got continued bounces in old-fashioned names like McDonald's and Schlumberger. And it speaks to something you've been talking about. I mean, here today, the S&P is up probably four-tenths of 1%. And the Dow Jones is up close to 1% with the NASDAQ underperforming. The Russell trading lower, as I'm looking at it here. The VIX unchanged is slightly higher. So this is one of those really strange days that you've alluded to in a lot of the work that you've been doing. Right. And it is a, it's rotation, right, as money comes out of uh, some of these great um, marquee uh, big super cap names. It's finding its way into Again, things like a McDonald's or Honeywell or, or Schlumberger. The issue for the market, though, and this is important, right, is the market in better shape or worse shape in any given day than the prior day or the prior month or the prior week? And in principle, the ones that are weak, Tesla, Apple, are not in better shape. They're continuing to be heavy, stay down. And so let's say they're just in the same shape, they're impaired, but the ones that have bounced are not in better shape because the potential or a great deal of it has been exploited. Meaning yeah. if Honeywell is up 30% and it is, and McDonald's up close to that, while they're in hindsight or not, there was opportunity three, four, five weeks ago, that opportunity has been exploited. So the net of it all is that the market is in less of a position, I would think to move higher uh, than it was just three, four, or five weeks so, ago. So, Carter, you heard me just mention the fact that the NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, was only up like 3.5% off those lows from a couple of weeks ago, that big reversal day. And the S&P, the chart that we just saw, is up a bit more than that. And so, again, it's speaking to that um, kind of rotation that we're seeing. And so, with interest rates, you know, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is, is basically 4.2% right now, very near the highs of this cycle. It just seems like investors are going to still hit the sell button on what they think are high valuations. Even a name like Apple, you know, at 21 times or something seems expensive, especially if you think the S&P 500 troughs at like 14 or 15 times. And then the ones that have been bid up, not to just keep harping on a McDonald's, but it's a prototype that's throughout the market. McDonald's is trading at 28 times. Mm -hmm. 
So now this is not a growth business and everybody knows that. And it's just a question of should it trade at 38 times or, or 50 times? I mean, the, 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 the point is that there, isn't, uh, there aren't a lot of good moves on the board. Yeah. Barring, of course, always trying to find really bombed out stocks that are truly bottoming, bearish to bullish reversals. One of the stocks that doesn't look like it's bottoming is Tesla. And you brought a chart with you talking about what appears to be a bit of a head and shoulders. We've talked about this for a while. I mean, I am I'm, I'm agnostic when it comes to these things. I don't care one way or another. We just try to look at them through the lens that we look at things. But Tesla technically does not look particularly good here, Carter. No, it has all the elements of a, an important reversal. It's been underway for a long time. This, of course, um, depicts that. What you have, and this is this is your chart, and it's excellent. The um, the 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 imagination. Let me just say this: is it can go as low as the imagination will allow. If you think at all, all the big round trips that we've seen, not to compare this to Peloton or Zoom or Carvana, because whereas those operating businesses are basically in question, that's not the case here. What we do know is when you have a great ascent over a multi-year period, when you unwind it, you unwind a good chunk of it. We're probably halfway back. Is it going to go all the way back to its COVID low? I would say absolutely not. But is it going to stop going down here? I would say absolutely not. Yeah. So, Carter, you know, again, we, we just put up a little head and shoulders on worth charting today, people. You, you did some extensive charting over different time spans with a lot of different lines and none of them look good. Even when, you know, it kind of broke that long term uptrend, it got it literally hit resistance right at that prior support and got rejected here. And so, you know, the other thing is, and I know you don't really care about a lot of the qualitative stuff as it comes to some of these stories. I mean, there's something really important going on here is that Elon Musk was selling a lot of his Tesla holding over the course of the last year to finance paying taxes, to finance buying Twitter, um, taking it private that he's doing solely with some debt. And so when you think about now, I guess he hasn't sold stock, but he's likely pledged a lot of his Tesla stock to the banks that helped him get this deal done. Okay. And so all of a sudden, if you are a Tesla shareholder, okay, you are very invested in the job that he does over there at Twitter. He could trip a debt covenant. Okay. And therefore he could have to come up with more equity. And how would he do that? He could have to sell Tesla stock. And let me tell you the shares that are pledged to the banks, right? Because he didn't sell it. They actually might have a margin call for him. And therefore you could have a scenario where stuff going on over at Twitter, which is a private company that he owns individually. And he is the largest um, participant, meaning by um, followers. Okay. But by also tweeting and all the engagement and stuff like that and he's saying some things that might not jive with our government with might not jive with his customers of tesla or whatever i mean the list goes on and on and on and so i think for us to think just because twtr doesn't trade anymore to think that that's not impacting you know tesla i think is kind of ridiculous here and this stock acts horrible and i tweeted this earlier this is one of the worst looking charts in the entire stock market and it still has a 600 billion dollar market cap trading evaluation that doesn't make sense to anybody other than massive fanboys of Elon Musk and his cars. 100%. And also, there is a, there is a longstanding pattern when a company gets out of its uh, lane, so to speak. You know, when Sony goes, buys Universal Pictures or Paramount, whatever they did, and you have hundreds of examples 
just go to any Harvard Business School study, it's usually not only not good, but the people that do it lose their jobs. Now, that's never going to happen because he owns and he is the the um, the sort of the king of Tesla. But you just remember, uh, it was the chairman of Pepsi that came in to take over management of, of Apple. And the first thing he did was he fired Steve Jobs. <laughs> you know, sometimes the creator needs to stay where he is best suited and not go off and do things that are off script. But look at this. Look at this chart here. This is very straightforward. We have the trend line. We have the break-in trend. We throw back to the penny. We hit our head. Uh, and, and there's so many different iterations uh, uh, for Tesla. I mean, you can draw the lines that way. You can you can put in the, the break juncture from the June low. Basically, I mean, look, those purple arrows tell the tale. Uh, so much of this is technical because we know it's not valuation. Uh, it's just sometimes a stock is ascending and sometimes it's descending. And we're in the case, the latter right now. Yeah. And John Anderson on the comments said 175. That's a level that I've been talking about for a while. I mean, you know, I think if it were to get there, that's something you can trade against. But um, I'm pretty, listen, I'm not convinced of anything, but it feels as though that's somewhat inevitable given the environment that we find ourselves in. We talked about Apple earlier. We made some comments. You brought some charts to sort of back up what we're saying. The charts are the relative performance of Apple to the S&P and how it looks as though things are starting to break down here, Carter. Yeah, and, it, and they're very precise lines. And the best part about them is they're not my lines. Uh, these lines are the lines. It's simply a ratio chart, Apple relative to the S&P. This is going back over two, three years, but you can see we are breaking trend. If you look at a longer term chart, we've got the same circumstance. And look how well Apple has adhered uh, to this line, and we are just below it. And if you did the all data relative chart, which is simply Apple's relative performance to um, the S&P, we have the same circumstance. I would point out that, look, in the last 20 years, for what it's worth, if we maybe go back to the second chart in the middle, in the last 20 years, there you have a 20-year chart, Apple has outperformed the S&P in 15 and underperformed in five. So it's one out of four times underperforms. But here's Here's the thing that really gets crazy. Um, if you were to consider Apple's performance over the past 20 years, Apple's split adjusted price is 25 cents. And its Kager is basically 37, 38%. That's compounded annual growth rate versus the market at 7.6. So in that chart you're looking at, 100 grand invested in the S&P is 430 grand now. 100 grand in Apple is $57 million. Very humbling for all of us who didn't do that, even with a dollar and kept it or 10,000. But the point is nobody stays on top forever. And this doesn't mean this has to end the way it ended for Cisco, largest company in the world, or Exxon, largest company in the world, or GE, or General Motors, or US Steel. But you can stay on top until you can't. And yeah. there's every reason to think that Apple's not a good place to be. In. You know, what's funny? Guy has made this point <clears throat> on many occasions, you know, when it was a value stock, it traded a value, uh, you know, like valuation. It, it had growth like tendencies as far as their sales and the way margins were expanding and, and where they were going. And now that it, it's like no longer this year expected earnings and sales growth about 4%. Okay. And it's trading at 21 times the current year and about 20 times the out year. Year. And so that just kind of speaks to like this kind of, you know, this over exuberance about this company and that outperformance and people think what happened in the past is likely to continue to happen in the future. Um, that being said, you know, a quick swoosh 
Carter, and this thing, you know, we just talked about how some of those stocks go into zero and all these other things. We're seeing some makings of like six months from now, we could see how the stock market might have bottomed, but it probably won't bottom before Apple trades below where people think it could trade near term. And down 22% on the year versus the NASDAQ down 33% doesn't seem like it's there yet. What do you think there, Guy? I agree. And that's the point that I've been making for years. And I'm glad you brought it up. And nobody seems to want to hear it. But, you know, when it was a growth stock, it traded a trough valuation. Now that it's basically a value stock, it trades at a growth stock valuation. You can't have it both ways. And I think that's what we're coming to realize now. And it's not to cast aspersions about Apple. I mean, it's obviously one of the two or three most important companies in the world. But it's just to point out that even Apple is not impervious to dealing with valuation at a certain point. And I think that's what the market's trying to figure out now, Carter. So we'll see. You brought some, go ahead. Yeah, no, I would say that if you look at, so the Aston Standard & Poor's actually has an S&P 500 value index and growth index. And Apple has been in both of them three times. Like when he was just at the end of the PC run and he didn't have the phone yet, there it was, it was a value stock. And then there was no growth. Now it's growth. Now it's high. And yet net income, the prior four years before COVID was essentially flat, not earnings per share because they're buying back a lot of shares, but net income flat for five years. And it basically doubles during COVID. That, that's, that's a really important point. We made that point. They have bought back over a half a trillion dollars worth of stock over the last 10 years. People talk about Jack Waltz, uh, Welch managing their earnings at GE for all those years. I mean, Apple, when they were having really not great earnings growth, they were able to kind of return a shit ton of cash, if you will. Carter, you, over the last couple of weeks, you've been highlighting what you've been calling bearish to bullish reversals, okay, and and giving us a bunch of names that you think are starting to show some some I don't know some some technical sort of clout or maybe some sort of turn. I wanted to kind of throw this um, block up. This is the SQ chart here and get a sense for what you're thinking here um, because this one had a big gap after its earnings after making new 52 week and multi year lows. It's followed through here today a little bit. How's this one look to you? And it's no lines here, just that kind of declining yeah. 150 day. Just curious your thoughts. Sure. I mean, it has the element. Let me say this. Obviously, to qualify official and not to sound officious, but, you know, for, for my seat, as I learned it, a bearish to bullish reversal is when the actual 150 moving average, the smoothie maximum goes flat. And so obviously that's not the case here. But what is the case, and, and it's incontestable, is that it's starting to stop going down, right? Yeah. The stocks, it's delta, it's a rate of descent is abating. And in fact, plus or minus, it's kind of flat since the summer. Yes, it's made a slight new lows here, but this is how it starts. So the price action can be characterized as developmental, early stage, hopeful, encouraging, nascent. Doesn't matter what yeah. word you want to use, it, they all apply. I would, I would be inclined to do a little bit. Yeah. Well, Guy will recall this too in, in, in past cycles, you know, when bad news stops causing bad mm -hmm. price action after a long period of bad price action, um, you know, it, it is one of those sorts of situations where if it marries with the sort of charts and the sort of stuff that you're seeing, that makes some sense. Okay. Here was one, Carter, uh, on work charting this morning, you had a note out saying one area of the market's one theme stands out, and this is going to get Guy a little excited here. It's the gold miners. It's the gold miners ETF, the GDX. Talk to us a little bit about this. All right. So this was a table, and uh, if you if you're just trying to do sometimes uh, take a different approach or try to put things in perspective, it's three columns. Now the table is 
you can see it's uh, you have a the top part and the bottom part is too much to fit on one screen, so we've cut it in half here. But if you look at the month of September, I mean, I've done everything. You can see every aggregate there is from Europe, emerging markets, from junk bonds, every single sector in the S and P, semiconductors. But everything is down in the month of September. We know it was except. And, and gold too, gold bullion was down. But what wasn't down? Gold stocks, gold miners. Now in the month of October, the middle column, almost everything was up, not everything, but almost. And indeed gold miners were up again. And now in the month of November, a lot of things are down, some are up, but what's up yet again? Gold miners. That's what relative strength is or something developmental nascent early in the going. And most important that the miners are up when the bullion wasn't up in October. It's a good sign without question. The resource names are actually starting to trade well the last week, week and a half. I mean, you throw on top of that energy, which we mentioned, the OIH up over 50% in the course of a little over a month. And that speaks to maybe something taking place post-election. Maybe some of these commodity names have clearly been under pressure. Uh, maybe now that the elections and they'll no longer have a bullseye on their back, maybe that'll free some of these names to go higher, Dan. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, again, I'm starting to think about what are some of the stories where, again, bad news is not perceived bad by market participants. It's already kind of in the stock. Valuations are getting kind of compressed and people are going to start thinking about what is the out year estimate start to look like? Okay. <clears throat> We've gotten through a lot of earnings over the last few weeks. Couples still on our radar here. Guy, curious your take on Lyft. And this is one where I think it's kind of interesting. Okay. Because again, the story is well known. I mean, they are basically North American rideshare, whole host of issues as it relates to kind of, you know, staffing demand, cost of those staffing. There's been all these ballot initiatives, whether to make these gig economy workers um, full-time employees that would raise the cost um, of the company here. Thoughts? Because this is a $5 billion market cap. They have $1.8 billion in cash, a billion in debt here. And you think about it from an enterprise standpoint, given their like $4 billion enterprise value seems kind of cheap. Now, on an adjusted basis, they're making money. On a gap basis, they are not. We know that they're losing a lot. There's a lot of stock-based comp here. Curious how you think about a stock like this that's had a decent rally over the last, let's call it, month or so off of the lows because the slightest bit of good news and this stock's kind of raging. That being said, you know, worse than expected and no light at the end of the tunnel. And this thing's going to be testing those recent all-time lows. Yeah. I mean, I look at this. Carter probably looks at this as a pair of twos. And I'm sure that he's right. I say to myself, you know, their pathway to profitability for Lyft is a lot clearer than it is for Uber. I mean, that's just my view. We'll see. I also look at this and say, you know what? There's still a gap in the chart back from May. We'll see if we fill that. Moving averages are clearly not helping, but you know the fact that we bottom out as long as we have. I mean, maybe it's giving us a launch pad, you know, for a significant move higher. We'll see. Yeah, Carter. Any any yeah. thoughts on yeah. a name like this? Yeah, I mean, so here too, we one could see or want to see that. Hey, isn't it sort of stabilizing? It's not really making sharp new lows, and to some extent, that's true. The interesting thing, of course, is the divergence with Uber, whereas Lyft has made a new. 52-week low on the 13th of October with most stocks. Uh, Uber made its low back in June, July. Um, now, I don't know anything about which one's better. I have gotten in the back of both of them. But after that, uh, you know, it's just, yeah. uh, it's just about the chart. 
One, one thing I just say is the implied move in the options market. Okay. So the, the, the straddle, the at the money, the stocks just below 14, the, the 14 strike call and the 14 strike put, they're each about a dollar 40. That's $2 and 80 cents. If you just thought the stock was going to move basically 16% in either direction, you just knew it's going to move. You could buy that straddle. That's not a strategy that any of us really agree with. It's really a difficult way to make money, especially into events like this. But then think about it this way. Let's just say you thought the stock stock could go above 1540 between now and Friday's close. That's half the implied move. You define your risk and buy that call. I still don't love doing those sorts of trades. Hard way to make money unless you have high conviction on the directional uh, move. But this one's interesting to me. I almost think you wait. And if this thing were to gap lower, they have job cuts, they have this, they have that. Maybe that's the opportunity to kind of buy it after it's already gapped. All right. That's it, guys. That's the market call. No we way. Yeah, that's kind of it, guy. We're that's. At- I mean, that, I mean, we try to be. We try to be respectful of people's time. I will mention that. Listen, best team in baseball won the World Series. I know you Dodger fans would love to say otherwise, but the Astros are just better than everybody else. The Rangers dropped Chris Kreider down to the third line last night in an overtime loss against the Red Wings. But that's Coach Gallant making a statement, as you know, Carter. I'm sure you're very well aware. But that's it for today's Market Calls. Dan mentioned, I want to thank FactSet for providing us with all the charts and data for this broadcast. If you enjoyed the video, be sure to hit the like button or or smash the like button or something smash that it. people smash say it. that I would never utter in my world. Leave us a comment. Subscribe to Risk Reversal Media. Uh, and do it on YouTube as well. And check out the On The Tape special edition that's going to drop any minute now with Nuriel Rabini. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Thank you, Carter. As always, hasta la vista, people. See you later. Thanks.